Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, where when you roll out the red carpet for Grandma, she'll walk all over you. Book number 43, Hard Choices. Will Enid's life ever be the same? Oh, well, welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, everybody. It's me, your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and I have the most special guest all the way back from episode two of Sweet Valley Diaries. But I forgot to ask you beforehand, if your name is the same, what do, what name was, shall I say, for you? Right? So much has happened since then. Goodness me. I thought Enid's life was exciting, but mine has maybe surpassed it. Um, I am now Adora Wandu Earl, mother of one. Amazing. So many things. It is crazy to think how many things have happened since it's been uh, th- not quite three years since that podcast premiered. Impossible. I know. No. It is impossible, I think. <laughs> but it is possible. It, it, it helps when I take these long, lengthy uh, hiatuses between seasons that everybody, I'm sure, <laughs> really loves so much. One of the nice things about the hiatuses is that as time passes, I get more and more distant from having read the books. And I have totally forgotten at this point what happened in a lot of these books, including Hard Choices. Um, so the first thing that I want to talk about, please, and this is a purview of the show now that I don't recall if we were doing back in episode two, is to talk about the cover, what's happening on the cover of Hard Choices. This is a unique one. Because a lot of these covers exist in kind of like no man's land, like they're just in another world of like plain backdrop. But she is somewhere in this picture. Yeah, I'm guessing that she is in front of her house, um, the yeah. little house that she lives with her single parent mother. Yeah. Right? With the bouquet of flowers. This book focuses on Enid Rollins, which is a big part of the reason that I asked Adora to join me, because the second book, I want to say Secrets? Oh, yes, I got it right. Number two, <laughs> Secrets, is about Enid's dark secrets, which n- get nary a mention in this book, but um, her, her like, rough fast. Now, here we are, 41 books later, and... um. I thought, let's have Adora come back and talk about Enid some more. But yeah, we get a we get a, the first really close look at inside Enid's house. Because there was a book called Crash Landing where Enid had psychosomatic uh, paralysis. And that happened a good 20-some books ago where we got a little bit of a look at her life. But you're right. I, I go into all of that because Adele Rollins, Enid's mother, is a single mother. And early on in this book, it shows the, the like, non-wealthiness of this particular family. Mm. I think which seems really interesting because it feels like her grandmother has money. And it may Mm. just be the way of things that, um, yeah, she's a single parent. Maybe you got yourself into this, so we are just not helping you. And you get to be poor and we'll live in this big fat house in Chicago. That's a good point. What happened with the Langevins? So we're getting so far off the topic of the cover of the book, but just real quick. So what happens in this book, in a nutshell, is that Enid's grandmother comes to live with Enid and her mother. And the reason that happens is that 
Enid's grandfather has passed away, and the house that the grandmother lived in in Chicago was gigantic and too big for Nana to live in alone. So she moves into this cramped house in Sweet Valley, and Enid has to move to the attic. Again, we'll come back to the cupboard because um, <laughs> looking at it, it's clearly these very expensive flowers that she's bought, especially for her grandmother, because, you know, Enid is so sweet. And um, yeah, she spends pretty much all of her time. allowance on these fresh flowers yeah. and on like some lavender soap for her grandmother. Because, you know, that's what every grandmother dreams of, lavender soap. And <laughs> I so, do think that, like, uh, like heart-shaped guest soap, like, scented guest soap is a very, like, peak grandmotherly thing. So I can understand why maybe <laughs> Enid would think that her grandma would really want, like, molded, scented soap for the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't realize those things were that pricey. I thought that was, you know, the thing you'd buy for a pub, uh, one of those... Um, white elephant gifts where everything has to be under five <laughs> bucks. You're like, yeah, I can get yeah. some molded soap for that. Let me do that. That looks kind of fancy. I do agree that lavender is very much a grandmotherly thing. So I see where she was coming with that. But yeah, these flowers look, they look very pretty on the cover, but they do look like she just nabbed them from someone's garden on her way home. Uh, yeah, kind of. But the book gives a very specific explanation of them being like freesia and... I don't know, carnations. I didn't mark that particular page, but what is Enid wearing in this picture? Can we talk about that for a second? Because I am confused, but this is the most matronly outfit I have ever seen. I suspect it's blue velvet on a gray t-shirt. But even for Enid, that would be reckless fashion. Reckless. I'm I'm unclear. It's almost as if she goes to some sort of private school or like uniform school where she has to wear this outfit. It's bad. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. She has a very appropriately, like, skeptical look on her face because Enid is very pensive throughout this book. She doesn't know how she feels. She, it, the lighting, I'm, I mean, not to go into the detail, but I do think that the lighting on this cover is different than in any other cover we've ever had. It is different, um, but Enid seems to always have resting pen- pensive face. That's just her <laughs> regardless of yeah. the situation. I love when the yeah, characters have standard. the characters do tend to have pretty serious looks on their faces on the covers of the book. Mm-hmm. As a reminder to listeners who maybe haven't listened to episode two ever or like in a while, Adora is like a, an expert in Sweet Valley, like like was a serious fan, not like a <laughs> professional expert in modern times, but like a serious <laughs> fan of the sh- of the books. I'm curious about, like, your general thoughts on Enid as a character. Like, do you remember having thoughts or feelings about Enid? The most redeeming quality of, about Enid, I always thought, was how much Jessica disliked her. And that always <laughs> put me on <laughs> Enid, because I was like, yeah, anyone who's just getting Jessica's goat standard and is basically just team Liz throughout, yeah, let, let's just keep ribbing Jess. I, I, I love that about her and how... It doesn't even matter. She doesn't need to do anything. She can just be minding her business. And Jessica is just completely aggrieved by the fact that she exists in this world. So that's, I guess, also how Enid is to me with everything. She's just in the context of other people and never really 
in her own personship. Yeah, I mean, the, actually, this book is kind of a good example of that. Because when I saw that this book was coming up, I was I mean, I kind of wished that the Enid book was going to be a little bit spicier, because the very idea of this book is really kind of boring compared to a lot of the Sweet Valley topics. Although I guess Enid's last major turn, as I mentioned, she was in a psychosomatic <laughs> paralysis. But but I don't think that that being said, I don't think this book was boring at all. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, Jessica always refers to Enid as a wimp. And I thought it was interesting that in this book, Enid actually at one point refers to herself as a wimp. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought that was weird because normally when Jessica lobs that insult, I find it sort of silly. It is. Um, on the other hand, though, it does remind me of book two in some ways, just in terms of, or maybe... Maybe it's just the character device you have to have where misunderstandings grow when it's perfectly obvious to everybody else that this is <gasps> this doesn't make sense and you oh need gosh. to just kind of snap out of it. Totally. It really gives me so much stress. And this book, this was the book that gave me stress <laughs> because, so I guess we'll get into it. So the book starts and Enid is so thrilled as that's where the last book ended as well. Enid was thrilled that her grandmother was coming to live, but Elizabeth mm-hmm. is helping Enid kind of move all of her stuff to the attic. And it's already clear that Enid is making a lot of sacrifices for her grandmother's arrival. Mm-hmm. The family can't afford to decorate her room and redo Nana's room. So of course, Enid is the one who gets this like bare bones attic bedroom. Nails in the wall. Yes, they're gonna hang her clothes from a from a rope between nails in a wall because she doesn't have. There's no closet in the attic, and Enid is like really kind of like the whole thing was very confusing to me because I it felt like the attic was unfinished and barely a room, whereas Enid's room is pretty much a room. So what you doing? You just take some posters off the wall and leave it. It it's habitable so just fix the attic but a lot of a lot of things to do with domesticity confused <laughs> me in this I, I did wonder about Those like well, what about choices. the choices <laughs> yeah right I did wonder like well what about whatever was decorating Enid's room before like couldn't that decorate the attic if yes. you were buying new things for Nana's room but I think it's important to note that at the outset of the book, Enid is very willing to make these sacrifices. Um, I have a pa- I have a passage I'll read here just to kind of set the stage. When Mr. Langevin, that's Grandpa, when Mr. Langevin had died a few months earlier, it didn't make much sense for his widow to live alone in that big house. So even though the Rollins's house was much smaller, there had never been any question about finding room for Nana. Enid didn't like having to give up her pretty bedroom and move up to the attic, but her grandmother was worth it. They certainly couldn't ask her to climb those extra stairs. Enid was willing to make any sacrifice for her grandmother's sake. So, that's what happens. Yeah. Enid is willing to make every sacrifice for her grandmother's sake. And it, it also, again, I, I don't know, maybe it's all the time out in the world that was just confusing me. So, grandmother loves Enid. Enid loves grandmother. Very sweet to her. Every time she's there, has a great time. Grandmother has big house. Ro- the Roland family, tiny house. Grandmother yeah. sells house. Still, what Roland happened to the money? What happened to the money, I, Nana? I Thank you. I said, Nana's moving. And sure, you want to look after Nana, but Nana has money. 
Nana should be paying for her own room to be decorated a little, or at least contributing something. <laughs> well, she's buying her own buffered aspirin, apparently, so that's her big contribution. She, she doesn't want to be a bother in any way. So, yes, that's her line. Paying for the so, two dollar aspirin, but again, yeah. <sighs> pretty quickly, yeah. So pretty quickly in the book. Adele Rollins, Mrs. Rollins, brings her mother home from the airport, and it's, like, shocking how frail she is. Because Enid remembered her grandmother as being a pretty, like, robust person, but she's just, like, this frail old lady, and it's not like it's been that long. But, you know, her husband just died. It's kind of understandable, and she's tired from her flight, but she's also kind of a nag, and she's constantly saying what you just said, Adora. She's constantly saying, I don't want to be a bother. It's, like, her refrain. Mm -hmm. But, like, pretty quickly, she doesn't want to be a bother. Like, anytime the mom or Enid offers to do something, like, I thought of this, it would be fun. The grandma's like, I don't want to be a bother. But then <laughs> she kind of, like, is constantly a bother about other little things that she, like, really shouldn't press on. It's kind of, uh, there's so much about it that did ring um, very, very familiar. For example... Enid's on the phone and don't want to be a bother grandmother, shouts out for her as if someone's dying. I think, what was it? She was just trying to find where the glasses go in the kitchen or something. Yes. She wanted to put something away. So I was thinking, yes, that, that feels very much the sort of life we all live where we're trying to do something and get on with our lives and are on the phone and suddenly someone's shouting for our attention and you think it must be super urgent the way that they are going for this. Yeah. But I liked all the bits like that that rang familiar. I actually have this page marked because I, I thought it was so interesting. So um, we'll talk about what Elizabeth is up to in a second because that's actually a pretty big part of this book too what Elizabeth and Jessica are up to. But basically, Enid is on the phone and she's talking to Elizabeth about something and she hears her grandmother call out for her and she thinks, I hope it's nothing serious. And she hangs up. Enid raced downstairs, her feet pounding on the steps. What is it, Nana? What's wrong? Breathless, she ran into the kitchen. Mrs. Langevin was standing in the middle of the room with a casserole dish in her hand. Dear, I want to be useful around the house, so I'm putting away the clean dishes. She indicated the dishwasher with a nod. I don't know where this is supposed to go. Enid heaved a sigh of relief and took up the casserole from her grandmother's hands. Up in this cupboard, above the stove, Nana. I'll put it away for you. But really, you don't have to do that, she added hastily, as Mrs. Langevin pulled out the top rack and picked up a glass. No, no, no. I don't want to be a bother to you and Adele, Enid. A thought flashed across Enid's mind. If her grandmother didn't want to be a bother, she could have waited until Enid was off the phone instead of calling her so urgently, just for a dish. But Enid dismissed the thought immediately as selfish and ungrateful. It was sweet of her grandmother to be so concerned about helping. So that's kind of this inner monologue for, for Enid throughout the book. Mm. Throughout, and just how insidious <clears throat> it is, really. Planting all these seeds here and there of just discontent left and right. It's very Machiavellian. Um, yes. At the beginning, I, I thought to myself, how how are they going to redeem this? Because clearly this is someone, it's not like she can die or go to jail because this is Sweet Valley. Um, <laughs> how can this possibly end well um, with grandma? How, how can you just fix this? Because she's just too far gone with her evil ways. 
Yeah. She does and, seem Machiavellian. I think this I think this book ends up being just a shade away from being like kind of a horror movie because she gets really scary but initially it's very slow and one of the one of the things she does that's that is so Machiavellian although I don't know if it's truly by design or not is that it, it involves both Mrs. Rollins Adele and Enid Rollins their boyfriends their respective boyfriends. Mm. So, okay, let's talk about Richard Cernak. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused about him. Um, I, he came did, out of nowhere. Grandma? I, I, I agree that he's just, I only have five minutes. He works in TV. All he wants is a drink, a stiff drink before he heads back. And I'm like, yeah, Grandma has a point here. You know, this is, this is a bit of a flag. <laughs> it's an alcoholic. This is just the way they roll. Um, I think also right. Enid just being very um, ambivalent about him, even at the beginning. Um, She's nervous that he's like then, replacing her dad. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, but she hasn't. She hasn't really had her dad forever, and he's not dad replacement material in any way. Yeah, we get zero information, Gladiators, about Mr. Rollins in this book. I do think it's interesting that Adele is Mrs. Rollins still. Like, the dad is long gone, but she's still Mrs. Rollins very very solidly, Mm -hmm. even as she's dating this other guy very seriously. In defense of Richard Cernak, I will say... Who, who, I don't know, do we make it clear? He's, he's Enid's mom's boyfriend. They, they, the serious boyfriend. She brings him over for dinner on the very first night that the, that the grandma is in town. <laughs> and she, like, basically, in defense of him, she has basically said, I'll tell him to leave early so that we're not putting, we're not keeping grandma up late. Like, we're not putting too much pressure on her with this new person. Cause grandma, when she arrives, it's clear that she's like in no mood for, anything like she's so mm-hmm. she's very she needs to take a nap mm-hmm. the the flight was delayed but every word out of richard's mouth the grandma is really actually pretty rude to him at this dinner she is totally and to be fair as well even if he'd waited a week or a month to come over she would have been horrible she probably have had her um self fully install, installed in the house by then so she wouldn't even have had to say too much but yeah Definitely got Enid. Her ambivalence turned to malevolence um, very, yes. very quickly because Enid is so easily swayed. Um, That's definitely the key thing. There, yeah, and there's just so much about it that made me wonder about the level of self, anyone's self-awareness. Maybe even if Enid wasn't um, up to par. I, then again, I wonder with her mom, um, her history with men and her history with um, the people in her life and maybe uh, it's confusing I wonder what Enid's grandfather was like um, Ooh, as a mother question. to have a certain understanding or certain patterns that she falls into and then having her mother influence her so readily in that direction especially when it came to Enid's boyfriend just seemed very yeah just so much to dig psychologically about that family so much going on but I did keep thinking this is clearly Stockholm Syndrome because she's got you all (laughs) yeah you're all just under her spell which isn't one that makes sense and none of you can see that she's doing the same to everyone else it was just yeah 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like part of what you're saying here is this, this thing of, you know, Enid had this seed of distaste for Richard. And mm. when that seed was like watered by her grandmother's own distaste for Richard, which was patently unreasonable. And Enid could see that it was unreasonable, but it was like, she didn't want to like Richard. So she was like, Oh, well, grandma has a sense that Richard is an ungrateful, like bad guy. I want to believe he's an ungrateful bad guy. So I'm going to go with grandma. Yeah. uh, But it's also, she wants to believe it, but the seed that she had was because of nothing he'd done, just the fact that he mm-hmm. was coming, well, not even necessarily coming between her, her and her mum. It had always been her and her mum, and now there was an extra person, even if it was three to four times a week. And it's been ages, so there's that sense of possessiveness uh, with the women in the family, which is then taken to the utmost degree with grandma. So it's very much that whole possessiveness, ah, yes. I see where it comes from. Yeah. We want all the women in our family to ourselves and nobody else. Well, and we really see that it becomes crystal clear. And you'd think Enid would fully piece it together, but it becomes crystal clear with Enid's boyfriend. So Enid has this boyfriend Mm -hmm. named Hugh Grayson. He goes to Big Mesa. And Gladiators, I am so Mm -hmm. sorry. I can't remember when Enid met Hugh Grayson. When I got to him, I was just like, oh, God, where is he from? Like, I cannot recall when they met. I think it was just, like, in the background of some other book. And I'm sorry. I'll try to remember. But Hugh, Hugh Grayson goes to Big Mesa. It was probably one of those books where, like, some sports thing was happening. And Big Mesa was playing. It's coming to me. It's, like, there beneath the surface, bubbling up. But because... So Hugh Grayson is this guy that... Enid's relationship with him has been kind of strained because he goes to Big Mesa, He, which I guess is, like, a next town over or something. And, I mean, there's so much I could say about Hugh and Enid's relationship, but what I want to say regarding this specific conversation that we're having is that Hugh has invited Enid to go to this weekend in the desert. Enid has the green light from her mom to go until her mom starts talking to Grandma about Hugh Grayson and how Adele shouldn't let Enid go on this trip. And suddenly Adele is like, you know what? That Hugh Grayson, you know, I don't trust him. With every single thing that Enid starts talking about, looking forward to, I'm thinking, oh, it's not going to happen. Grandma's going to just mess this one up. Apart from, I think it was one one of the dances, the next thing we know, they were all there. I was like, wow, Enid made it. I, I, they set this up completely to be one of those things that Grandma didn't um, allow. However, I, I did have issues with their relationship as well, like uh, her relationship with Hugh. It was very much this whole, Enid's love language is clearly quality time. Um, Mm. And I totally kind of understand that. And the way he'd structure their dates, the the little time they got together, he'd be splitting, hanging posters with people and going to get, and just stuff that, like she said, a really good point. You see these people every day. We get to see each other weekends when we're lucky and you are splitting this in half and she's trying to be gracious about it. So, again, I was like, I kind of see why grandma's coming up with this huge guy is undeserving of Enid's very little quality time. Well, I can but shed some light on this. Be grandma that's hmm. 
I can shed some light on this with a quote from very early on in the book um, that just kind of explains Enid and Hugh's dynamic right now. For a moment, she considered taking some time to call her boyfriend, Hugh Grayson. Lately, they'd been having some problems with their relationship that she wanted to clear up. Since he went to nearby Big Mesa High School and didn't live in Sweet Valley, they couldn't see each other every day. At first, it hadn't made any difference. When they had met a few months earlier, there was an instant spark of attraction, and they'd both gone out of their way to make time for each other. But recently, it was getting harder and harder to do. So Enid is afraid, like her, her relationship with Hugh is kind of on the rocks. You know, she's mad at him. You're right. He, he's going to cut their date short so that he can go hang posters with his friends at, at school. And then he, you know, they make up, they keep on like fighting and then apologizing for fighting. They're like in her car outside of her house and they make up for their little spat earlier and they kiss. And Enid gets out of the car, and she sees, like, a little face in the curtain in front of her house. <laughs> um, Gladys, you'll have to understand that I am pretending to, I'm miming, peeking out of a curtain here for, for Adora's benefit on our Zoom call. And then suddenly the face is gone. And then the next thing you know, Adele is saying, well, I was talking with your grandmother about this, and we, I, I was wrong to let you, to approve that you could go on this desert trip. It's just not, it's just not appropriate. Yeah, so true. It's just letting grandma just wheedle all these ideas. And I'm surprised that um, Enid didn't make it clear to Adele that she was beginning to feel weirdly about Richard as well, because maybe that would have helped her snap back into it. But I think Adele yeah. was just living in her own version of um, denial, which is why she knew clearly something was wrong with the way Enid was seeing Richard and um, her mother would have felt about Richard because she was putting off the because Richard uh, proposes to her wants to make her an honest woman and maybe financially more sound who knows um, right. and she's hesitant she was just saying if it was just a few weeks ago she would have absolutely jumped on it despite the fact that she knew Enid was ambivalent about him anyway so it's clearly just grandma's opinion that's making her pause and maybe Enid's ambivalence is now a thing to her. Um, but it, I, I wondered about the proposal as well. Was she holding back because she was having vague doubts about him or she was just waiting for everyone to chill so she could say yes? I think that that's unclear. I don't think that she was having doubts about him, but considering how awful her mother was to him at the one dinner that they had together. Like every word out of her mouth was basically like mm -hmm. the grandma throughout this dinner is basically inter like purposefully Throwing taking. Yeah. And like every comment Richard makes, she's absolutely, she's purposefully interpreting it as like the worst version of that. So if Richard says, oh, well, I mean, you must like the weather out here because it's a lot warmer then the grandma says, oh, well, I didn't mind the seasons, you know. We live in California, Adora and I, so I'm sure we've heard people say this over and over again, bitching about the weather. Yep. You want to be like, okay, go home then, <laughs> because the city is full. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's my, my most uncharitable sentiments on the topic. But, um, <laughs> or like, you know, if... He says, oh, I Adele tells me that you bake a lot. She's like, not anymore. <laughs> so, 
So, um, you know, she, she also tells Ina that she thinks he's asking too many personal questions. It's just awful. So I think that it would be hard to imagine bringing your boyfriend into that, knowing this is the energy your mom's bringing to the family relationship. But I think you're right that maybe in that sense, she is just hoping that mom will chill unless she doesn't need another change right now. Yeah, I am a defiant soul. So a lot of the <laughs> bending over backwards was just very oh, troubling God. and yeah. confusing to me. I like the fact that we now know Enid's family roots are in Chicago. And I kept thinking, oh, I wonder if they'll say more. And Marissa will be like, oh, I know exactly where that is. But no, they <laughs> left all the Chicago details away. Yeah. Um, Not even a neighborhood or like a suburb. Oh, Come on. That's the thing. Um but even with the Chicago roots back to Sweet Valley, and I don't think it's my fault that I'm so fixated on Enid's um, economic situation because they made such a big deal about it and they, they oh, sure. bring it up all the time. And I, I feel like it must be all relative because when they went to the Dairy Burger, Enid's like, Ugh, goes off and gets both their root beers. And I'm like, Liz is supposed to be considerate. She knows that. Enid's in financial straits. Why is she letting her buy her these, this root beer? Why aren't they at least splitting the cost? But it just seems super casual. Or um, people in Sweet Valley are just so bourgeoisie, they don't even consider the other person's economic situation outside that's the largest That's a great point. Of, yeah, she's in an attic and she has bare walls and that's just how Enid lives her life. Yeah, if you're a teenager who I spent almost all of her allowance on scented soaps and flowers. Oh, we didn't even say that the grandma, when she gets to the room, is like, oh, these flowers, Adele, I think they have pollinated them, take them away. And Enid's face is just falls like, oh, no, I spent all my allowance mm-hmm. on those flowers. Um, yes. And no. she's not that impressed with the room. She thinks the room is <laughs> tiny. There's just yeah. so much about her that's just that's complaining, complaining. Than I remember. Just treat yeah. them mean, keep them keen. <laughs> uh, entire so, strategy we we were talking about um how there's these two sides of the boyfriends and the thing with Hugh you know it, it's coming through Adele saying don't go but I wanted to read this passage because Enid can't get a hold of Hugh to say don't come pick me up um on the phone another one of those this book is full of stuff where you're like oh my god if only they had cell phones they could tell each other but uh they could text about it all night and and talk about their feelings but so so Hugh shows up to take Enid on this big weekend trip to the desert this weekend camping trip with his friends Enid tells him that she can't go he stared at her incredulously what do you mean you can't go My mother told me this morning that she didn't want me to. She can't trust me, right? Hugh's eyes hardened. Great. That's just great, he said in a bitter voice. Thanks for letting me know. I couldn't. Enid stopped and pulled herself together. She didn't want to start crying, but she was afraid she might. I tried to call you after school, she said, but then I had to take my grandmother to the library, and couldn't you have taken her some other time? I think you could have tried a little harder to get through to me before I came over here to pick you up. Hugh! Tears sprang to Enid's eyes. She didn't know what to say. He looked away. Listen, Enid, if you don't think you have time for this relationship, just say so. But personally, I don't know how much longer I can go on with a girlfriend I never see. I'm really sorry, Hugh, she repeated faintly, tears spilling down her cheeks. I wish you would just try to understand, that's all. I understand, Enid. Believe me. So, anyway, (laughs) it's like... 
He was bad. He was bad, kind of. But I mean, I get it. Like you want to say this came. This is a similar kind of thing happened actually mm. in the the Winter Carnival Super Special that we read recently, where Elizabeth is letting Jessica walk all over her and breaking dates because she's like covering for Jessica. And Elizabeth's mm. boyfriend right now is Jeffrey French. Jeffrey French is like mm. Elizabeth. Just don't cover for Jessica and live your life. And she just she just won't. And it's the same thing with Enid. It's like, Enid, let your grandmother, a grown woman, be home alone. That's not really what's happening here. But it happens a lot of other times because Enid keeps canceling mm-hmm. plans because otherwise her grandmother will be home alone. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't, but even when they decide it's okay for her to be home alone... Or lovely neighbor lady is up for coming to hang out with her yes. for nothing. Grandma's just pulling a fit and talking about the fact that she'll be home alone. And even I was convinced that once Enid left her home alone, something terrible would happen because that would make sense. And the structure of the book didn't, which I, I liked was a nice surprise that she was just absolutely fine. Just... Um, it became clear it wasn't just them being, or she should be home alone. It was grandma campaigning to never be at home alone. Oh, no, for I don't sure. think she really cared. I feel like we're working our way up to what is the climax of the book. So we need to sort of like jump back and talk about the sort of B story of this plot, which I also feel like you're <laughs> the perfect person to talk about with in a way as a, as a filmmaker yourself. Yes. Um, first of all, an, a one hour documentary. Um, yes. <laughs> Does everybody remember Jackson Croft? Did you remember Jackson Croft from your girlhood? He's very mm-hmm. minor. He, he didn't come up too much, but there was this character named Susan Stewart. She, ha- well, is that even the right person? Hopefully, gladiators. I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but Jackson Croft is this like filmmaker guy, and there's yeah, there's this documentary competition for students, and I had the same reaction, Adora. They're letting students in the high school submit documentaries that they've made for this festival showcase. The documentaries are one hour long. What on earth? That's not a length. I mean, if it's PBS, sure, great. But any yep. other format, that's like the worst length for a thing to be. Yes. Why are you doing this to yourself and to, to the students as well? Um, the general level of what the hell are we of the whole thing? <laughs> uh, assembling a team, it, the, the team kind of vaguely made sense. Um, Jeffrey using what turns out to be Lila's video camera, probably a camcorder. I'm not even clear. And then, but maybe not. It wouldn't even make sense. It would have had to be a big time beta cam thing, which is maybe why they made it. It had to be Lila's camera or Bruce Patman's camera because it's the same size of tape as the TV station. Actually, yeah, maybe it could have been a, a little camcorder. Because um, the TV stations, they won't necessarily be using high quality. But yeah, this is definitely whole, a good glimpse they... into like '80s tech. Because like, there's a scene where where Jeffrey pretends that he's erasing the tape because Jessica's like embarrassed by something Winston is doing, mm-hmm. and he like pretends to press a button and rewind the tape that he's recorded onto mm-hmm. and record over it. I'm like, I remember that as a thing that existed, but that's not how it works now. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I liked remembering that. What completely threw me off was the whole, okay, so if Richard Cernak hadn't um, 
suggested who works at the TV station them coming yeah how were they going to edit it because it was all completely new to everybody <laughs> no one really knew what this editing thing was they didn't have equipment to edit um were they just going to go to Lila's house and figure it out or hire someone oh what man was, what was the plan so when I was in high school so this was you know the late 90s early 2000s I had this German class where we would make these video projects and we just delighted ourselves by making the most complicated like Art Nouveau German videos, but we didn't have any editing software and the editing happened like either in camera or there was some way that you could, like we did a lot of in-camera editing. So like you would stop what you were shooting and like go shoot something entirely else and God help you if you want to reorder something. You have to like get a separate VCR and a separate tape to like play just exactly the part you want. Yeah, you're right. How were they going to do it? Probably at Lila's house, I guess. Yeah, they just they just sat in their privilege and thought, We'll figure it out, or someone will swoop in and work this out. Did you notice how long it took them to edit their one-hour documentary? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Six hours, and they were done? Because when they were the talking book makes... about it, Thursday, yeah. it The book makes this huge scene. About how, oh my God, I can't believe we've been working on this for six hours when it's just said, I don't know how we're going to edit two weeks of footage down to one hour of tape. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like, if only you could just, how do they even watch all the tape in six hours? Yes. The whole thing was just, the timeline was, was just, yeah, technically I just had to put that whole thing aside. And left <laughs> it. I, I like the fact Dora. that they didn't make. Yeah, no, I, I like the fact they didn't make any claims that the film won anything. Um, <laughs> right. Because I was just kind of like, even the the whole way it's set up. Like, fine, um, make a film about Sweet Valley for your family and friends, but for the rest of the world, I don't even know. Oh. I'm not sure that we've even, we were, we're so excited about talking about this movie that they made that we didn't even really explain what it was. So Elizabeth gets this, when she reads about the contest, she gets this brilliant creative idea that she's going to make a documentary about how much she loves her hometown. And it's basically like a tourism film that she gets Jessica. Okay. Okay. I do have this. I have this scene and it's delightful and I'm going to read it because it makes me laugh. It's very pure and very Jessica. Um, so, um, Elizabeth initially asks Jessica to help her with the documentary, and Jessica says no because she's really busy. And suddenly, Elizabeth had an idea. Well, what I was hoping, she said casually, was that you would want to be the narrator for the whole thing. On camera, I mean. But if you can't, I understand. As she turned away, she gave Jeffrey a surreptitious wink. Wait a second, Liz. Just... What do you mean, that bit about on camera? Hiding a smile, Elizabeth replied, Well, what I thought was that you would be a kind of a tour guide of Sweet Valley. You could read the script and the camera would follow you all over town and you showed off the different places that I wanted to film. That's all. Jessica lowered her eyes and drew a little circle in the sand in front of her with her one finger. Oh, well, hey, you know what? She said with exaggerated brightness. She looked up at her sister. I just remembered I'm not going to be so busy after all. I was going to be tied up with this, um, she darted a quick glance at Lila for inspiration. 
with something for Lila. She continued, ignoring Lila's look of surprise. But we aren't doing it after all, right, Lila? Oh, yeah, right, Lila said quickly as Jessica nudged her with one foot. I changed my mind. We're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love the fact that Jessica still feels like she needs to try and lie to Elizabeth. I'm just kind of like, dude, come on. This oh. is Liz. <laughs> what's the point why are you just saying actually uh, excuses and Lila even needing to assist with making excuses none of it that reminds me of one of my favorite parts of the book which ties into the grandma storyline because Enid is basically like PA or like you know first AD or something like she's helping out with this project And but she keeps on having to cancel helping because her grandma makes up this bullshit or her mom is going out a lot with with Richard (laughs) Cernak. Yeah. So anyway, um, by the way, a very significant road in the city of Chicago is Cernak, which is only one letter. away from Cernak. I don't know, maybe just a little insight into the creative process of this writer, uh, since we never heard about Richard Cernak before. But, so, Enid essentially says, like, oh, you all can have your production meeting at my house, because, and, like, her grandma is gonna sit in on the production meeting. And, um, (laughs) there's a couple things that happen here, but one of them is... That does sound like me, though. All my family members are first AD, executive producer, (laughs) suddenly you're part of it. So, yeah. That's just practical. One of the things that is amazing to me in this uh, book is so after they leave the house, and it's like the grandma's been a little bit awkward, especially if Enid leaves the room for a second. So, they leave the house. Um, Jessica says, Man, Enid's grandmother is a real pain. Jessica stated bluntly as she got into the Fiat. Jessica, Elizabeth explained, how can you say that? I don't know. I just can. There's something about that woman I don't like. (laughs) Elizabeth thought about how awkward and uncomfortable Enid had seemed, but surely it was because Mrs. Langevin had just arrived in Sweet Valley. The situation had to improve, didn't it? Is the continuation of that. But Jessica saying, I don't know, I just can, is, oof, I just love it. Uh, yes, totally. That's like, I, I'm team Jess at that point uh, for that little section only. Um, and then the rest of it was, because I, I left the books before Winston got a girlfriend and still had that huge crush on Jessica. So mm-hmm. everything he did to her in that um, that book just felt like him pulling her pigtails. Not like someone who had moved on Um I love yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one part of it. And then I don't know if Winston ever really fully her. moves on from Jessica. Exactly, and I think part of my issue with all of that is, and some of the other things that was going on was the fact that you got me reading Sweet Valley Confidential, so I have all this oh, no. insight that's just Winston completely like even the teaser at the end where they were like Steve Wakefield and who and was Kara, it they were trying yeah. to tease him with and I thought oh, somebody named uh, Abby yes oh yes Abby whose last boyfriend goes to Palisades High and I'm like I know a bunch of people at Palisades High 
is this where it is? Uh, again, trying to find the mysterious <laughs> geography of Sweet Valley. But yes. it was just kind of like, I loved having that concrete school, not go to school in the Palisades, but go to the Palisades, Palisades High. Mm. Yeah, yeah, unusual. What we know about Steve, yeah, totally. But what we know it about does call Steve, things, yeah. Steven. Mm. It, it's, it's very hard yeah, to his, square, actually, what we learn about Steve with Steve's composure in... <laughs> in these books, especially <laughs> as regards to Kara, but um, I, I did want to say one other thing as far as, like, building the plot about this thing with the Wakefield, the Jeffrey, like, this meeting at, at Enid's grandma's house, because I've been doing a segment, Adora, called um, the Oh My God uh, moment, which is a moment if I ever say Oh My God out loud in the book, and I didn't say Oh My God here, but I did gasp audibly, because what happens is <laughs> that Enid's grandmother says to her, now remember, way back at the beginning of the book, Enid has offered to make tea for her grandmother. Mrs. Rollins was suddenly brisk and businesslike. Mother, is there anything special you'd like me to pick up for you? Thank you, Adele, but I don't want to. Mother! Exasperated, Mrs. Rollins spoke more sharply than she had intended. She took a deep breath and smiled. I'm perfectly happy to get anything you'd like to make you feel comfortable. Some fresh fruit or a special tea? Anything? Her mother shook her head. No, thank you. For a moment, Mrs. Rollins stood still in the center of the room. Then she shrugged and went out into the hall, leaving Enid and her grandmother alone in the living room. So, Enid patted the arms of the chair she had moved to. How about a cup of tea, Nana? Were you planning to have some yourself, Enid? Yes, Enid lied glibly, meeting her grandmother's eyes. She didn't want her grandmother to refuse, just out of courtesy. So, I'll make enough for two. Mrs. Langevin held out her hand, and Enid rushed over to take it. Her grandmother gave her a grateful smile. You're so good to meet here. So good. Now here we are, and Grandmother, in the middle of this meeting, says, Oh, don't mind me, the woman replied. I'll just sit here quietly and not get in your way. She peered intently at her watch, then said to Enid, Dear, it's 3.30. Enid looked perplexed. <laughs> yes? Oh, right, your tea, Nana. I'll go make it right now. Her grandmother beamed with satisfaction. Thank you, dear. You're so sweet. And Enid jumps up and leaves the room and, and goes make, to make tea for her grandma. So, like, that's where we've progressed to. And this is only page, like, 54 of a 150-page book. So plenty of more room for grandma to get even worse. And this is just a theme, right? Like, grandma can't be alone. Enid and her mother both have social lives and plans and if one can't be somewhere then it, it and the mom is has the power right mom has the power in the relationship mm. to make sure that she's the one that gets to do the things she wants like mm. when it all comes to a head she's going to she agrees to go to this awards dinner like tv awards dinner with richard meanwhile enid is supposed to go to the premiere of this documentary at that they've the, it's a party that Elizabeth and Jessica are throwing at their house. And that's where we get back to what you were talking about before Adora because they're both supposed to go out Enid's mother has arranged for a neighbor to come spend the evening <laughs> with Nana and at the last minute Nana flips out. Yeah, it felt like the first time mother was making a sensible decision in the entire book 
which was <laughs> the other thing that concerned me about the whole thing. Or not concerned, I just, usually there's an inciting incident. And it's, it's just, it's, nothing happens. They just begin to gradually come to their senses. I, I was thinking something would happen. I thought it would be, yeah, Nana falling and getting ill or being in hospital or something when nobody was there and then everybody has a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. But it wasn't. It's it was usually something general. big. The closest mm-hmm. thing I can think of in this book is, yeah, that I think really this is a story of a, a repressed character mm-hmm. being pushed to her breaking point in Enid because the mom is trying to make a... I think it's really her conversation with Richard where she's already turned him down for the proposal. And he's like, really, you're going to let your mom Mm -hmm. dictate your life like this? Like, this is an important night for Mm -hmm. me. Like, she's an adult woman. She's not sickly. Why can't she be by herself? Mm -hmm. And then when the mom leaves, Enid is like, no, this, it can't be me again. You know, it's just like pushed to her, pushed to the edge. We didn't even mention the fact that (laughs) grandma, Nana doesn't even like Elizabeth. Nana doesn't like Enid's friends. <laughs> yes. She thinks Elizabeth is bossy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, the director of the film. <laughs> and even that could make Enid pause to think, if she thinks Liz is bossy, then maybe she's wrong about everything. Instead, every time Enid has a negative thought about her grandmother, she instantly chastises herself for being... Mm-hmm. for having a bad thought about her grandmother, you know, like, and that comes up again. It comes to reality when, um, you know, after the grandmother has basically insisted that, you know, the friend not come over and therefore mm-hmm. Enid must stay home with her. Like the friend can't come over and I can't stay home by myself. Enid, you have to stay home. I'm feeling sick. If nobody's home with me, what if I get <sighs> sick? I need my medicine. Um, she's really, it's really like she's some kind of Munchausen somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> she's At Munchausening least. herself. Uh, what is it? What yeah. is it called when you are pretending to be sick and making the people around you believe that you're sick? Yeah, I, I think that is, yeah, proper Munchausen. Um, yeah, yeah. N- not by proxy, but it's, it's, the whole thing was just lots of interesting and odd things about it. But um, I know just to divert again, the thing that I, I liked about this is it's been so long since I've seen um, Elizabeth not with Todd. I totally forgotten that she started dating Jeffrey because again, leap forward yeah. to Sweet Valley Confidential, the whole yeah. Todd thing. Um but it's Jeffrey French, not a like, part of Sweet Valley Confidential. Yes! But Jeffrey, um, well, there was a point where Liz was being totally thirsty. You know, it was just kind of like she's like, oh. loves his lean, muscular look. <laughs> Adora, I think you're trying oh to get us into the part of the podcast where we talk about boys. Oh, no, let me not jump too far ahead. No, no, let's get there, because there's boys in this book. Let's talk about it. We need a break. I marked it. It says, uh, um, let me see if I can read it in a sexy voice. Um, Elizabeth smiled happily as she watched him stroll confidently down to the water's edge. 
She loved his lean, muscular look. He stood ankle deep in the foaming surf for a moment and then dived into an oncoming wave. So anyway, he's sexy. Also, Manuel Lopez is back and Tom McKay are at the beach gladiators. So Manuel Lopez was the subject of the previous book, Tom McKay. Let's keep an eye on him, shall we? Um, I have a passage about uh, Richard Richard Cernak, which I think made me laugh. I read this aloud to my roommate. Um, Enid studied her mother's boyfriend. He was an attractive man, <laughs> in good shape, with dark wavy hair, graying slightly at his temples. He played a lot of tennis, so he had a good tan. He was dressed casually in chinos and a blue polo shirt. He wasn't remarkable one way or another, but there was clearly something about him her grandmother didn't like. And that made Enid suspicious. And I think I got a good Hugh Grayson quote, too. Hugh Grayson, page 44. Let's see. Is he sexy? Is he sexy? Yes. Okay. Hi, she said breathlessly, sliding into the front seat. Hi yourself, he teased, giving her a wink. Oh, I I was doing it more of a valley guy, uh, Hugh Grayson, earlier. Okay. Hi yourself, he teased, giving her a wink. She grinned back at him, and a tingle of happiness darted through her. She hadn't seen Hugh for a whole week. Eagerly, she drank in every familiar feature, from his wavy brown hair to the cleft in his strong chin. She often found herself looking at him lately, as though she needed to reassure herself that he was still there, still the same Hugh. Where should we go today? How about Miller's Point? She raised her eyebrows as he pulled out into traffic. In the middle of the afternoon, she teased. Miller's Point was a popular evening spot. On any given night, there were generally 10 or 12 cars parked up on the high bluff. Why not? Hugh answered. I hear there's a good view from up there, even though I've never seen it. Hina chuckled and snuggled closer to him. (laughs) All right, let's go. Anyway, so they go to Miller's Point in the broad daylight, but they don't make out. I know, they go there to sit outside and have a kind of picnic, which endured him to me, but did make me wonder. Yeah, it it seemed very, very sweet that he was finally willing at that point in the relationship where it was all about the view as opposed to making out and getting fresh. Uh, But if... If Enid had been as thirsty as Elizabeth, I don't think there would have been any Miller's Point in the afternoon, <laughs> only evening at Miller's Point. You can tell Liz and Jeffrey only do it at night. They're only there in the darkness. Go, Liz. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't had that book yet. Um, Liz is so square. A beautiful boy is a beautiful boy is a beautiful boy. Well, I feel like we're pretty much there in terms of setting the stage for the climax because we know about the documentary. Uh, but oh, you have something else? N- Go ahead. That we always have to mention the tropes because um, Alice Wakefield cannot be mentioned without her being said to be clearly useful and mistaken for one of the twins' sisters. But for once, they showed that she puts in work. Like she... 20 more laps before she was going to allow herself, what was it, a milkshake or something? Or something tiny. She's going to do 20 more laps before she was allowed three calories or something. Um, and I thought, 
finally, we see how this whole mirage of Alice Wakefield being a third twin is maintained by this very, very existentially strict regime of whatever it is that she's doing. She has to work for it. And make sure she always... She has to, whereas everyone else is eating pizza and living at the Dairy Burger. Alice (laughs) is at home swimming laps, lap after lap after lap, and maybe just stopping briefly to go to work and then coming back. If we're checking in on on characters in the Wakefield household, uh, Prince Albert is a golden retriever again. Oh, is that what happened? There's some confusion between whether he is a yellow lab or a golden retriever and in this book he's a golden retriever Ah. they're very close dogs but they if you i mean as any lab or golden owner will attest are not the same dog anyway he's a golden retriever again love it mr collins is sexy as ever but he makes such a fleeting fleeting appearance that it wasn't worth it so fleeting yeah i i totally missed him um I, I didn't even register that he was there. Who else was I thinking that I, it was nice to see? Um, I think it was mainly Manuel and how whenever there's a, anyone Manuel-ish in Sweet Valley, it's going to be its own book and it'll have to reverberate for a while. Well, you'll have to listen to episode 42, Caught in the Middle. It was a very political episode That's of Sweet Valley Diaries. <laughs> Um, I'm looking forward to that it was fun it was a really I had fun I hope the listeners aren't mad at me for making for taking the book so seriously because that's kind of what I do oh oh my gosh okay I'm sorry I gotta read this I gotta read this scene I love it so much okay (laughs) while we're clean while we're cleaning up this is a this is a Mrs. Langevin a Nana classic Nana moment Adele this orange juice Yes, mother, is something wrong with it? Shrugging, Mrs. Langevin said, It has so much pulp in it, dear. I find it difficult to digest. Mrs. Rollins set her coffee cup down with a clunk. Mother, she replied, her voice firmly controlled. I squeezed that juice from oranges from the tree out back. I thought you might find it a treat after drinking frozen for so long. Of course, dear. Mom, Enid put in quickly, her mother directed a fierce warning glance at her, but she went on anyway. It wouldn't be a big deal to strain it, would it? Strain it yourself then, Enid, Mrs. Rollins snapped. She shook the newspaper open and buried her face in it. Anyway. <laughs> strain it yourself. I love that rebellion. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And Enid, read the room, you know? But anyway. Yeah. If she was reading the room, there would be a lot less drama. She just wants everything to be perfect for Nana. Oh my goodness. What a wimp, this Enid. <laughs> what a And so, ah, ungrateful. But the other trope I, I just came across now is um, the editor being petite and dark haired. Um, and that's their way Can of saying Ayala. ignore her. She doesn't matter. Just ignore her. Anyone oh, Emma Gold, the editor. Is, yeah. Emma Gold, the woman who works at the TV station, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, the droids make an appearance, and every member of the droids gets mentioned. <laughs> Guy <laughs> Chesney, Dana Larson, Max Dellen, uh, the other one. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> they didn't say anything about um, sounding like L- Linda Ronstadt, which I was expecting totally once I saw. But Lynn Henry does make an appearance in this book. Um, mm. 
Oh, what's her? Emily is her name. The other one. There you go. All right. So at the climax of this book, finally, just so, oh, Hugh comes to the house to pick up Enid to take her to the documentary premiere. Now, Hugh is not really super close friends with Enid's friends. So he's, you know, being a good sport. They had a good time at this beach disco date. Like they're, they're having a second chance. He shows up and Enid is unable to go. He basically all what breaks up with her right on the spot. And she's, Enid is so frustrated and Nana overhears Enid and Hugh having this argument. Her grandmother raised her eyebrows inquisitively. Sounds like you and Hugh were having a fight. Yes, I think we probably just broke up, but I'm not sure, Enid answered painfully, fighting tears. Well, I'm sure it was for the best, Mrs. Langevin said calmly. He wasn't worth it. Enid felt her eyes widen, and suddenly something snapped. How can you say that? She cried, her hands clenched around the flowers. I love you, and you've ruined it. You've ruined everything, Nana. I hate you. I wish you'd never come here she cried. Why don't you just leave? Time seemed to stop. To Enid, it felt as if the only two people on earth were her and her grandmother, staring at each other in grief, shock, and disbelief. Mrs. Langevin drew herself up stiffly and threw her head back in defiance. Fine. If that's the way you want it, go ahead and leave me here all by myself. Go ahead and have fun with your friends. I'm sure they need your company more than I do, she said bitterly. I'm just a poor old woman. Enid thought her heart would break, but she wouldn't give in. No, you're not. You just think you are. I don't know why you can't stay home by yourself. It wouldn't matter that much, would it? I never thought you could be so selfish, Enid. Selfish? What do you think I've been doing ever since you got here? She shouted as tears streamed down her cheeks. I've been staying home and missing dates and breaking promises to my friends. She stopped on a gasp, throwing a desperate look to the front door. Turning back, sobbing, she added, And you haven't once offered to let me go out instead of staying with you. Not once. Her grandmother remained silent. Spots of color began to burn on her cheeks. Go ahead, Nana, Enid sobbed, her fists clenched at her sides. Go ahead and tell me I can go out. Tell me you don't mind. Tell me you understand I have a life too. For her answer, Mrs. Langevin stalked past Enid and climbed the stairs. Still sobbing, Enid threw the flowers to the floor and grabbed the keys to her mother's car. She ran out the house and slammed the door. So, big grandma fight. (laughs) Yes, and naturally in every story, this is when she slams the door, leaves grandma alone. Surely something will happen to grandma to make her regret it and then that will lead to the climax. Nope. And Enid's sure too. I went a different way with it. Instead, that was basically the climax. And Enid rushes home. She goes to the party. She's late, right? She's late to the party. She is late. And then the longer she stays, the more convinced she is that something's happened to Grandma and wants to rush back. Um, Finally tells Liz what Liz has known all along, that, yeah, Grandma's being crazy. And Enid's letting her, is is enabling all that crazy. Um, So it was, but I, I liked that. I liked that they just, didn't go that route and just did something else entirely. You go, SDH, I respect you, I see you. Yeah, Elizabeth doesn't really interfere very much, which is not like her, but she had her own storyline in this book, so she didn't have to interfere. Um, And yeah, yeah, so Enid goes home. a one-hour documentary? It's a lot of work. Something's got to (laughs) give. Yeah, so... 
Um, Enid goes home and she's so freaked out because the lights are all off, but then she sniffs the air and smells ginger on the <laughs> air. And uh, her, her grandmother is downstairs baking her famous ginger cookies, and it's like, oh, this is the old grandma. This is the old Nana that I remember from Ooh. Chicago. She's, like, normal. And it turns out that yelling at grandma was all it takes. That's what I could have said at the beginning. Yes. Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where yelling at grandma is the answer to all your problems. <laughs> Just focuses her mind once and for all. Ah. Oh. And what's she going to do? Was, it was. It, it's so true. And, you know, she, she's going to go back home, which I thought was also interesting. Live with friends, which made me be like, I knew she sold that house and I knew the money was somewhere. And maybe <laughs> buy somewhere else that is manageable for her, which still leaves a pile of money again. Um, and maybe, maybe in the future, move back. Um, by then, who knows what Richard Cernak will be like if he'll ever forgive her now that he's the man of the house. No living comfortably <laughs> back in that house for grandma. Oh, they'll probably get a bigger place where Enid doesn't have to live in the attic. Yeah, he's so got that options. TV money. So many options. Yes, he does. TV producer money, which is not quite the same, but still. Not, <laughs> I not, know. Who knows? He's like the local station TV producer, so it's unclear. But And he does, <laughs> he did not win an award. <laughs> not an yeah, award-winning TV yeah. producer. I like that detail. <laughs> but somebody was, Enid was like, did Richard win an award? And Adele says no. <laughs> I, no the, I mean, like, more people don't win about? them than win them, but oh. it was just funny detail. Because then, like, Hugh, oh, Hugh comes over and apologizes, too. He says, I, I thought maybe the grandma had called Hugh or something. But no, he just comes of his own accord and yes. says I was being a jerk. I'm sorry that, I yelled at you. I, that was confusing to me. Yeah. He's like, I, I appreciate that you're standing up for your grandma. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. It was, I, I'd written Hugh off. I would have liked grandma to have called him totally. But no, she did nothing but bake some cookies. Yeah. Listen, Sweet Valley, Very if confusing. you want us to care about Hugh Grayson, give us a Hugh Grayson book, okay? Because this is not enough. I don't care about <laughs> Hugh Grayson right now. He's got to be more interesting than this. I don't care that he goes to Big Mesa. You know, like, get a personality. And hangs posters with his friends and is always running off to hang out with the dudes. Uh, but I also wondered if he had a, a side chick because... He was acting like he was in a long-distance relationship because he was having to drive about 10 extra minutes in the yeah. car. So, no. I think maybe I, Hugh's I love language is also quality time, and that's their problem. They can't spend any time together. Mm, mm, I hope so. Um, I felt like if it was quality time, he wouldn't have been double-booking himself. But I guess that your love language applies to your friends as well. So maybe mm, that, 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 true. that should be his Man. book. That could be a whole other conversation. But we have been talking for a very long time about hard choices. And I feel like we might as well kind of wrap things up. We can have talk a little bit more in like a, a bonus conversation about any, any nitty gritty details we left out. But I have to ask you, Adora, uh, the question, you know, revisiting, if you find yourself to be an Elizabeth or a Jessica. Oh. Um, I will always be an Elizabeth. Um, in this episode, Jessica did have 
redeeming features. One, I say episode, book. It was <laughs> such a tiny thing, but this felt so out of character for Jessica. This is so silly. Um, she goes to the fridge, gets herself a drink, asks Elizabeth if she wants one too. No hidden agenda, no kind of just, I'm getting a drink for myself. Would you like one? Sister of mine. And I thought, oh, that is so sweet. So kind of like <laughs> un-Jessica-like, but also she loves Elizabeth. She really does. And Elizabeth didn't even register. She's like, no, I don't want a drink. But it, it just really moved me that Aww. Jessica still does tiny, silly things like that. Yeah, that's a good point. we got to give Jessica credit where she where she earns it. Um, she's And she does a great job in the documentary. She's very poised mm-hmm. and put together. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she's borrowing Elizabeth's clothes. You know, she's not helping mm-hmm. with the edit at all. And then demanding to mm-hmm. see, you know, a fi- she's demanding a final cut, but she doesn't get it, guys. Don't worry. Uh, so a little bit sa- a little bit more of a balance. Or is there some other character that you relate to or like a character that you love? I do have to admit a part of me was rooting for Grandma. And her terrible <laughs> no, no. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes a little bit of terrible is what people need in their lives to wake Nana's them up. Nana's the villain of the piece, uh, strangely uh, enough. Yeah. I think it was very good for Adele and very good for Enid. Uh, to helps them both um, grow a pair. Yeah, so I think that, that helped enormously. Yeah. When I say grow a pair, I meant a pair of ovaries because they needed to power their way out of that thing. Beautiful. Truly. I appreciate that. Adora, it's been such a pleasure. I mean, it's been a pleasure getting to see you and see your beautiful face. But it's also been so much fun to talk about Sweet Valley with you. And I'm glad that we had this excellent excuse to Zoom together. Thank you so much for reading Hard Choices and talking to me about it. Thank you for inviting me. Is there anything that you want to plug or like promote or anything like that? I am, okay. I'm not sure when this will be coming out, but um, maybe a few months after that, my new short film that I'm currently editing will be out there in the world. It's currently called Awoken, um, but it might change at some point. So um, <laughs> look out for Awoken, Adora Wandu Earl somewhere and... Um, May even have a sweet valley high in the background somewhere. Cause <laughs> Excellent. That one. And as I always say, gladiators, sometimes more eloquently than others, please, you know, do all of the following on Instagram at Sweet Valley Diaries, on Twitter at Sweet Valley. And the best thing you could do is to tell somebody that you know, or all the people that you know via social media about Sweet Valley Diaries, um, like everybody that you know that you think might be into it. I want I want to talk to them, too. I want to welcome them to the fold. Lots of people like Sweet Valley Diaries, so tell them. Tell a friend. Um, would you like to tease our listeners for the next book? If you turn to the last page of your ebook, the very yeah. last page. Let me do that. There's a tease for I the next I think I started to talk about it. Um, you did, yeah. Very briefly, because you know. I'm so all about Stephen Wakefield. Is trouble brewing between Cara and Stephen? Find out in Pre-Tenses, Sweet Valley High, Book 44. (laughs) What a title for a book. (laughs) Amazing. Um, And thank you for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. Uh, Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about hard choices. Thanks, Adora. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 
So as a reminder, listeners, if you haven't listened to episode two... Oh, my watch is talking. Shut up, watch. Um, As a reminder of what happened in... (laughs) Sorry, hold on. I'm going to reset my whole thing. I was so distracted. Okay. 